hey, how many guys, obviously besides Mary, she just found out, how many guys believe in miracles? Right, Mary? Yeah, praise God. All right, praise God. Uh, uh, believe it or not, folks, uh, one happened not too long ago, and I've got to share it with you. It went something like this. Do you tell me miracles still don't happen today? Uh, Kenny's sister got pregnant. Kenny, are you aware of that? Okay, miracles do happen, okay? <laughs> I said it's a miracle. And so miracles, Al, still do happen. And, and so she got pregnant. That was the good news. But here's the unfortunate news. While she was pregnant, she got into a car accident, and she fell into this deep coma, okay? And while she was in this deep coma, she was asleep for nearly six months, Okay, but she finally woke up and she sees, obviously, she's no longer pregnant. So being a mom and all, she's, she's frantically asking the doctor, where's my baby? Where's my baby? And the doctor comes in, he replies to Kenny's sister. He says, ma'am, 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 don't worry, don't worry, nothing, don't worry at all. You had twins. You had a boy and a girl and the babies are fine. Your brother Kenny came in and named them for you. And that's what his sister thought to herself. Oh, come on, man. Not my brother Kenny. Are you kidding me? And so she's expecting the worst, obviously. And so she goes, all right, to the doctor. What's the girl's name? And the doctor said, uh, uh, Denise. And Kenny's sister goes, hey, that's not a bad name. I guess my brother's not a goober after all. I mean, that was, I, I like Denise. That is great. And so then she asked the doctor, what's the boy's name? And the doctor replied, the nephew. <laughs> I couldn't wait to share that one. Give it up for Kenny, yeah. <laughs> uh, good thing we don't commute into the office in the mornings together. But uh, hey, how many, guys would, <laughs> how many guys would say, I mean, it's pretty obvious. There's a couple lessons there in that profound miracle story. Uh, number one, whatever you do, don't let uh, Kenny name anything that belongs to you, including small pets. Okay, but obviously keep that. Uh, but anyway, seriously though, uh, the big lesson was Kenny's sister apparently woke up one day, bang, everything in her life had radically, totally changed, right? But that's right, folks, you know the theme, believe it or not, Kenny's sister is not alone. The Bible says the whole planet, just like this, folks, radically is going to completely change overnight, and that's going to happen at the rapture of the church. And that's because the Bible says at that point, you just entered into the seven-year tribulation. And folks, that thing is not a joke. It's real. And it's not a party. It is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Okay, Jesus, as we've been seeing, folks, week after week, he said, I didn't. He said that time is going to be a time of greater horror than this planet has ever seen or will ever see again. And that unless God was merciful and shortened that time frame, the entire human race would be wiped out. Not a good time frame. You don't want to be there. But praise God, as we've been seeing, God's not just a God of wrath, dishing out his justice. He is going to have the last word on all the evils that we have to deal with today. That's good news. He's not just a God of wrath or justice. He is a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, his creation, he's given us so many warning signs to give us a heads up, to know when the tribulation was near. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. And we're not going to predict that. But out of love, he lets us know the season. It's getting close. When it's near the seven-year tribulation and when Jesus Christ, his second coming, is around the corner. And so in order to keep you and I from experiencing the ultimate bad day of being left behind, we're going to continue in our study called The Final Countdown. The final countdown. Now, if you've already been with us on the study, we saw that the number 10 sign on the final countdown was the Jewish people. The number nine sign, it's a countdown, was modern technology. And last time, if you were here, we saw the number eight sign was worldwide upheaval. Boom, the planet is gonna get messed up. Okay, Jesus said that, and we're gonna see it again today, Lord willing. And God lovingly foretold you and I, if you were here last week, it's obvious, guys. You don't have to wonder. Here's some signs to indicate it's getting close. When you see across this world an increase of famines, an increase of earthquakes, an increase of pestilences or disease, pandemic outbreaks, you better wake up. Like it, lump it, leave it or not, you're in that generation when you're living in the last days. We got to get motivated. But that's not all. The fourth sign to indicate we are headed for worldwide upheaval, i.e. we're living in the last days, is there would be an increase of wars and rumors of wars. <laughs> Good thing, Al, we don't see any signs of that. Uh, yeah, we do. Boy, is it escalating. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen in the last days. Open your Bibles to Matthew 24. Once again, let's take a look at that text. We didn't completely exhaust it last time. Let's take a look at some signs to indicate we are in that generation. How do we know it's getting close, guys? Matthew 24, verses 3 through 8. Let's take a look at that amazing text from Jesus. And of course, as we saw last week, the context is the disciples are asking them, how do we know? Give us some indicators. What's how do we know we're getting close? Okay, here's what it says. Matthew 24, starting at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him in privately, and they said, tell us. 
tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming, Jesus? And at the end of the age. And so Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive nobody. Unfortunately, many. Uh, he says, uh, you're going to hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. But see to it, you're not alarmed because such things uh, must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation is going to rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes in various places. We saw that last week. And he says, believe it or not, all that stuff, that's just the beginning of birth pains. And again, last week we saw the context of that. That means it's just a little baby one compared to what's coming down the pike. Okay, but still, it's a warning sign, as he saw there, okay? And according to our text, right after the very first warning from Jesus called deceit, Lord willing, we'll get to that in another study, okay, the very next thing he told us is a sign, a clear-cut sign, that we are in that generation, the end of age, we're living in the last days, was we would clearly see an increase of wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, etc. right? It's right there in the text. Okay, now here's the point. I believe the scoffer, and maybe you've heard him, maybe you used to be one like me, okay, in the past, but the scoffer's gonna take a look at that passage and probably say something sarcastically like this. Well, come on, big deal, so what? Why should I listen to you, Christian? Wars, s'mores, we've always had wars, what's the big deal? And granted, yes, we've always had wars since the fall of mankind, Genesis chapter three, but not like we see today, and that's the point. We're seeing a massive increase. Folks, in the last century alone, we have seen nothing short of an explosion of worldwide wars, worldwide wars, like never before, okay? For instance, let me give you some stats. More people have been killed in, in, by wars in the previous century than at any other time in the history of mankind. It's getting that bad. In fact, prior to World War I, war had never been universal. Okay, it's big sections of the world, but not universal. But listen, after World War I, we not only had another one, we've had not just one world war, we've had two world wars. And remember World War II uh, used to be called the war to end all wars, right? But listen, folks, since then, there's been 150 major wars after World War II. 1993 alone, there was a record uh, major 29 wars being fought. That was broken two years later in 1995. There were 71 major wars being fought all at the same time around the world. War is increasing big time. In fact, the planet is gearing up for war uh, more than ever before. And here's what's interesting, folks. All of this, it's not just this sign. This sign is giving uh, an increase to all kinds of Bible prophecy passages. Thanks to the rise, if you will, of wars and the rumors of wars and the armies and the technology that comes along with them, we can see for the first time, folks, in mankind's history, several passages of scripture that are coming alive, being filled in minute detail because of the rise of wars. And that first passage that's coming alive because the increase of wars is the Gog and Magog prophecy. 2,600 years ago, Ezekiel talked about this. And I think it's happening right now while we're sitting in this sanctuary. But don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at what Ezekiel says. Chapter 38, verses one through six, the Gog and Magog prophecy. Here's what he says. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. He says this, he says, I'm gonna turn you around. I'm gonna put hooks in your jaws. I'm gonna bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. He said, Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Torgarma from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Okay, now folks, I don't have time to read uh, the whole giant passage of 38 and uh, 39 because uh, what you're gonna see is that is just the tip of the iceberg of the famous Gog and Magog prophecy. It continues for the next two chapters. Again, I don't have time to deal with it, but just in the beginning portion that you saw there, it deals with a confederation of nations that God is not too pleased with. And I think it's pretty obvious because the reason why he's not too pleased in the context is these nations he mentioned in the last days, 2,600 years ago, are going to come against Israel and try to wipe them out. If you haven't already learned, that's not a good thing to do. Okay, but that's what they're going to try to do. Okay, now the key to understanding just how close we are to the fulfillment of what's called the Gog and Magog prophecy or the Ezekiel 38 war, okay, is finding out who in the world these nations are. How many guys, when was the last time you, you took a vacation over to Put? <laughs> yeah, last week I was over in Bell, Togroma, and I said, ooh, it was hot. Over. 
It's like, what are those nations? Okay, so that's the point. We need to do our homework. Who in the world are these nations that he predicted, that he mentioned right here, okay, and uh, find out who they are so we can know, are we getting close to fulfilling that prophecy that, that is going to happen in the very last days? Okay, well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for asking. Let's do that. Let's take a look at uh, and uh, define who modern-day terms these nations are that are going to come against Israel in the last days, and you tell me if every single one of them right now is gearing up to take out Israel. Let's take a look. The eyes of the world are fixed on the Middle East. Every day, the papers of all major countries carry lead stories about Israel, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Pakistan, and other Middle East nations. Further, it is evident to all that the nation of Israel is increasingly under fire both politically and militarily. The militant uh, Shiites in uh, Iran are openly racing, boasting that they're racing to develop uh, nuclear weapons uh, with the explicit uh, announced goal of uh, wiping Israel from the face of the earth. Many believe the Middle East is about to explode and drag the world into one of the most difficult and terrifying conflicts in world history. The prophets in the Old Testament predict just such a situation will occur. 2,600 years ago, God revealed specific information to the prophet Ezekiel about a group of nations that would come together and attack Israel in the last days. Bible scholars refer to this attack as the Ezekiel 38 war. Do we see any evidence that the nations Ezekiel spoke about are threatening Israel today? The Islamic world is what is going to basically come together, align themselves to try to destroy the Jewish state, with one exception. Russia is mentioned in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38. It talks here in verse 2 about Magog. Gog in the land of Magog. Now, Gog would be the person. Magog would be the particular state that it's talking about. And according to biblical geography, Magog would have been that land mass north of the Caspian and Black Sea, which is Russia today. Mm -hmm. Then in verse 2, it says Meshach and Tubal. And down in verse 6, it says Gomer and Tagarma. When traveling in Turkey recently, I picked up an ancient Turkish map. And in biblical times, Turkey was actually divided into four parts, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. So we're now talking about Russia and Turkey. There in, in verse 5, it says Persia. Until 1936, there were three nations we know today that were known as Persia. Those three nations are Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran. And then you continue on in verse 5, Ethiopia, or Kush in some translations. That would be Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan. And then in verse 5 again, it says here in my Bible, Libya, or maybe in another translation, put. Well, that's modern-day Libya, Colonel Gaddafi. You have to coordinate this with Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45. It talks about the king of the north. Earlier in chapter 11, you find out that is what we know as Syria today. And the king of the south would be Egypt today. And then going over into the book of Psalm, you go over in the book of Psalms chapter 83, and it talks in Psalm 83 about a list of nations. It mentions here the Ishmaelites. Well, that's modern-day Saudi Arabia. And then in verse 5, it talks about Tyre. That's modern-day Lebanon. So we're now seeing a list of Arab nations, with the exception of Russia, who will form this coalition to come against Israel in the last days. Man, I tell you what, Bill, good thing not one of those nations are making the list and showing any signs of wanting to annihilate Israel. <laughs> We've got plenty of time. Let's go out for lunch. <laughs> what? Every single one of those nations are wanting to take out Israel right now. And if you're paying attention to the news, and who is it that's arming the majority of these nations? Russia, who defined by the biblical text in the last days, is going to be Magog, is arming these people, okay? Now, you put all this together, and what's going on in the news right now, and you can see, folks, this prophecy, I can confidently say, I think, dealing with the facts, is on the cusp of being fulfilled for the very first time. 
right? Now here's the point. There's actually a debate on the timing of this prophecy. There's two different camps. And some would say that this prophecy takes place just prior to the seven-year tribulation. There's another camp and they have their reason. They say, no, 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 it happens just after the seven-year tribulation begins. But here's the whole point that I think that we need to pay attention to today. If we see all the key players, all the key pieces of the Gog and Magog prophecy being lined up right now before our very eyes, just waiting to annihilate Israel at any time, then how much closer is the rapture of the church, which takes place prior? If it begins before, after, it doesn't, do you see the significance? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. It's getting that close. 2,600 years ago, coming alive right now. But that's not all. The second passage coming alive due to the increase of wars is the judgment of God uh, uh, on the people who would dare come against Israel. Again, unfortunately, mankind learns uh, the hard way. Now, I don't, again, have time. Please go home and read it for yourself to uh, finish up chapter 38, chapter 39 of the Gog and Magog prophecy. And you're going to see that uh, they're going to get annihilated by God. Okay, we'll get to a piece of that in a second. Israel right now has currently a population of under just under 8 million people. Uh, the surrounding Muslim nations that were mentioned there has hundreds of millions of people, okay? And yet, even with those astronomical odds, they are the ones who are gonna get wiped out by God, not Israel, okay? And so, uh, but let's get down to some specifics of what some of this judgment that God is gonna do to these nations in the last days who dare come against Israel. Let's take a look at how God describes it, okay? You tell me if, uh, what, this takes, uh, what this looks like. One of the passages is Zechariah 14. Verse 12 mentions this. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Here's what he's going to do. Pay attention to this. This is wild. Uh, their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. I don't know, some people would say that this is just some sovereign act where God supernaturally causes a plague to instantly come across these people and, and melts their flesh away, you know, kind of like that scene in Indiana Jones when they dare tamper with the ark. Ooh. Okay, and it could be. I'm not against that, okay. But I, I think the point is I personally don't want to be there to find out, okay. Uh, okay, but, here, but here's my point. With the rise of wars, the technology with them, even recently in our lifetime, um, take a look at that description as you saw. And what kind of weaponry... Does that sound like to you today? Maybe a nuclear bomb would kind of easily do it. Maybe even a biological warfare thing that could do that. To, but here's the point. Either way, in the last century alone, we can get a great idea. That's how many of these passages are coming to pass in great detail. In fact, speaking of nuclear warfare, as of the year 2000, <laughs> okay, just between U.S. and Russia, we now have enough nuclear bombs to destroy the planet six times over. <laughs> Okay, but that's not the half of it. As we know in the news right now, folks, big news. Okay, small countries all over the world right now uh, are uh, uh, increasing and trying to gain their own supply of nuclear weapons, and it's increasing every single year, right? Okay, and many believe that it's not a matter of if, but when and where the first nuclear strike is going to be, and when that happened, nobody knows for sure, but it sounds like World War III, maybe Gog and Magog being leashed on the planet, and it's time we get motivated. But speaking of Gog and Magog, there's another judgment of God uh, that would come against the people who come against Israel. And it too, I believe, is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Take a look at this passage. This is part of that judgment. This is absolutely wild. Ezekiel 39, verses 1, 4 through 5, and 9 through 10. This is part of that judgment again uh, when they come against Israel. He says this, Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. On the mountains of Israel, you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and the wild animals, okay? You will fall in the open field for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. Hundreds of millions of, we can only imagine the number, going to be wiped out by God. Now listen, here's a very interesting side effect for those who remain. Listen to this. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up. The small and large shields and the bows and arrows, the war clubs and the spears for seven years. That's how much carnage is left behind. For seven years, they're going to use them for fuel. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it from the forest because they will use their weapons for fuel. A bloodbath. But here's what's interesting. You put all this together. The Bible says that in the last days, the Gog and Magog aftermath 
the Israelites are going to get to burn the weapons of their enemies for fuel for seven years, right? It's right there in the text. Okay, now when Ezekiel wrote this, the weapons of his day uh, were bows and arrows and clubs and shields and spears that were made of wood, and so you expect to burn that, right? But think about this logically, folks. And we're trying to modernize these nations. We got a problem there. People make weapons today, guns, out of metal. Last time I checked, I'm definitely barbecue challenged, uh, but that's kind of hard to light. <laughs> you know, metal, you know what I'm saying? So, so there's, if we're going to take this literally, how in the world, if we make modern weaponry out of metal, how are these people going to pick them up and burn them for fuel? This is wild. It just so happens, I challenge you today to go check this out. It just so happens that Russia, Magog, who's arming many of these nations with weaponry to come against Israel, listen, they're using a new substance in their weaponry. It's called lignostone, L-I-G-N-O-S-T-O-N-E. And it's not stone. Listen to this, and I quote, it's a special kind of wood that is stronger than steel, very elastic, and I quote, it burns better than coal. They're making the weapons out of that. So here's my point. I don't know. If you make your weapons out of that stuff, um, it's not only going to burn, <laughs> it's going to burn real good. Maybe even for seven years when you gather it from the... It's, it's happening now. That's time to get motivated, isn't it? Every aspect is coming to pass. But that's not all. The third passage uh, coming alive due to the increase of wars is the 200 million man army. Let's take a look at that text. Revelation uh, records that for us uh, in chapter 9, verse 15 through 16. And the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned to uh, uh, kill one-third of all the people on the earth. Now, that's after one-fourth has already been annihilated, okay, in uh, chapter 6. But uh, now another third's going down the tubes, and here's what happens. They led an army of how many? 200 million mounted troops. I heard an announcement of how many there were, okay? Now, some people would say, Bible scholars would say, that this is simply just referring to a demonic host, okay, of 200 million demons that are leashed to kill a third of mankind. And again, could be. I personally don't want to be there to find out, okay? Uh, some would say maybe it's a combo effect. Maybe it's a literal army that is possessed by demons, okay? There could be that aspect. Or it is a literal army, but it's inspired by demons. But either way, maybe it's a combo effect. And either way, I just find that this is interesting. Um, with the explosion of the world population, can you guess uh, who it is that just happens to already have gone on record of boasting of a literal 200 million man army for the first time in man's history? China. China. In fact, I just found this this week. Uh, one, uh, one columnist wrote this. He said, uh, there's an interesting side effect to our current economic crash and all the debt that we owe. Listen to this. This is wild. He says, 80% of China's military buildup is being funded by the interest on the debt that America owes the Chinese government. It's almost like, man, if I was China, I'd, I'd try to orchestrate some sort of economic crash in the country so they can pay for my army to be... Let's not get all wacky, <laughs> I tell you what. But that's not all, folks. Another interesting business venture uh, by China, uh, it could very well be fulfilling this aspect of Bible prophecy, Revelation chapter 16. This is pretty cool, too. Verses 12 and 14, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the where? The east. Where's China? East, for those of you hooked on directions. And here's what's going to happen. To what? What's the whole purpose of this? To gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. In other words, for the battle of Armageddon. Okay, is what this whole thing's uh, about. And according to the text, the river Euphrates is going to get dried up. Okay, uh, so they can prepare, help prepare the way. But the, if you look at a map, the river Euphrates runs through Turkey, Iraq, Syria, etc. The Middle East area. Okay, and uh, so here's the point. Can anybody guess who right now just happens to be building a high-speed railroad system in that area? China. And I quote, China is signing a $2 billion deal uh, to build a railroad line in Iran, which is the first step of a wider plan to tie the Middle East and Central Asia to Beijing, all the way to China. 
Okay, that line would give Central Asian states vital access to Iran's port on the shores of the Persian Gulf and could also eventually give China a vital overland freight route to Europe and dare I say, a very uh, fast, a very efficient and cheap way to move an army to arrive on time for the Battle of Armageddon. It's all coming to pass. But that's still the fourth passage concerning the increase of wars. It's coming alive, okay, is what I call the running into mountains for protection. Trying to run away from God's wrath. Not going to do it, but here's what they're going to try to do, okay? Take a look at this passage, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. I watched as I opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. We saw this last week. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That's where we stopped last week. Let's continue on. When that happens, the people that are there experiencing it in the seven-year tribulation, what are they going to do? Check this out. Yeah, they're going to run, but listen to this. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the apartment complexes. <laughs> Went to the back roads of Walmart and got them... No, where'd they go? They hid of all places. The Bible calls it out. They hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called on the mountains uh, and rocks and said, Fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand? Not a good time to be there. Okay? But our text clearly says the people in the seven-year tribulation are actually going to try. Okay? Losing battle. You're going to try to hide from the wrath of God. Okay, you're not going to, but here's the point. That's where they're going to try. As we saw of all places that the Bible mentions where they're going to try to hide is in the mountains. It's in the caves, if you will, among the rocks, right? Now, here's the point. Little do people know that thanks to the rise of wars and the various military inventions and technology that come with them, okay, that for the first time in mankind's history, we have the ability to try to do just that, to go into the mountains, into these fortresses, and try to hide away from God. They're called dumbs. And yes, it is dumb to try to hide away from God's wrath uh, because you're not going to, but that's an acronym that stands for Deep Underground Military Bases. And the reports are they're all over the world. Okay, let's take a look at what's going on with there. Okay, dumbs are deep underground military bases. They're not reported in various places around the United States. Okay, but they're literally, again, reported to be all over the world. They've been building them for quite some time. They're made possible thanks in part to massive high-powered tunnel boring machines. In fact, some of them are said to have been actually nuclear-powered. Okay, and uh, they can not only literally, they say, melt solid rock, leaving behind glass-like walls, but listen, they can also drill a tunnel seven miles long in just one day. Okay, got some serious technology. And now due to these abilities, some of the underground facilities are reported to be 42 levels deep, some of them between two to four plus cubic miles in size, which literally means they are basically large whole cities underground. And other reports say that they are connected by high-speed magneto-levitron trains that travel at speeds of Mach 2. Put your seatbelt on, okay? Now, listen, as to why these bases are being built, you can research, folks. There's all kinds of different uh, reasons as to why, okay, uh, that people come up with. But listen, what I found was very interesting. One report says that most of them are being built specifically away from geotectonic areas and because they know not just A, but they know that catastrophe is coming. And what did the text say in the last days when all this stuff busts loose on the planet Earth? Where are people going to go try and hide away? Ha, 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 Yeah, you can send a tidal wave as big as you want. Ha, ha, ha. You can have a nuclear holocaust on the planet. You're not going to get us. Oh, yeah? Can I tell you something, folks? You can hide and run all you want from God. Go ahead and try. You can even have all those amazing technological accommodations that you built in the mountains, but can I tell you something? God's got a bunker buster that's going to blow it away. It is called his wrath. And one breath from his nostrils, no matter how far you try to hide underground, you are still going to get it. There's only one way to escape his wrath, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's your only security, not in the rocks in the mountains. But here's the point, folks. As you guys can see, our world is being shot to pieces like never before. Yeah, we might have always had wars, but not like we see today. Exactly like the Bible said would happen when you're living in the last days, but that's not all the fifth sign, the final sign we're gonna take a look at today, that we are headed for worldwide upheaval, i.e. we are living uh, in the last days, is there's gonna be an increase of signs in the sky. 
Anything weird going on in the atmosphere or space lately? Uh, just a little. And this is that parallel passage again in Luke chapter 21. Let's take a look at the text. They asked Jesus again, the disciples, teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what's going to be the sign that they are about to take place. Well, here's what he says. He said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We just saw that. He said, there's going to be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places. We saw that last week, but here's one little nugget we skipped. Here it is. And there's going to be fearful events and great signs from where? Heaven, Heaven which is a Greek word, urnas, and it means sky, atmosphere, or space. Okay, depending on the context. And so that's the question. Do we see any weird signs, things going on in the sky or atmosphere or space showing us that uh, Jesus might be around the corner? Yes, Pastor Riley. Thanks, Jenna. I'm glad you said that. Uh, the first sign that we know that Jesus is coming back soon, folks. You better get ready. The first sign from the sky is a rise in solar activity. And we know that the sun's going to get cranked up super duper high because that's exactly what the Bible says in this passage. Revelation 16 Verses 1, 8, and 9 says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And here's what happened. The fourth angel pulled out his bowl on the where? The sun. Now what's going to happen? As a judgment of God. And the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. Listen to how bad it is. They were seared. This is across the planet. They were seared with intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Wow. Talk about stubborn. Good thing we don't see people being stubborn today. We'll get to that, Lord willing, later. Okay, that's not a good thing to do. According to this text, what these guys are doing, they're, they're trying to uh, curse the name. They are cursing the name of God. But here's the point. The Bible says in the seven-year tribulation, it's obvious, folks, the sun, one of the judgments from God, is the sun is going to get seriously cranked up to the point where it's going to get so bad that people around the planet are going to get seared. You're going to, at that day, go, man, I sure wish it was only going to get 104. Like today in Las Vegas. Appreciate it, Al. It could be worse. But the whole planet is going to get seared by the sun, right? And so that's the question. Do we see any sign of the sun getting cranked up right now? Kind of like a little precursor, a birth pain for what's coming down the pike. Yes, we do. And now listen to this. This is some weird stuff. Once I started getting into the research, uh, there have been massive mega solar flares. There's been massive, huge sunspots. And listen to this one. There's been a, the recently, just recently, there was a solar tornado on the sun's surface that was 125,000 miles high. A tornado. A tornado on this 125,000 miles high on the sun. Now, to give you an idea how big that tornado is, that's approximately half the distance from the earth to the moon. That's how big that tornado on the sun was, okay, is what's uh, going on there. There's been all kinds of weird stuff like that, okay? And there's been all kinds of solar storms going off, and experts are saying, and they are getting ready to, the sun's activity, listen to this quote. He says this, he says, it's getting ready to hit the earth, listen, with the force of 100 million hydrogen bombs. That'd do some searing action, okay? In fact, experts are saying, folks, it's a lot more dangerous, even though you're gonna see some people kind of scoff and making jokes about it. The experts are saying, it ain't a funny matter. It could literally paralyze the planet. We're getting that close. Let's take a look at this guy. Should we be worried about increasing solar activity? Michio Kaku is here. Professor, should we be worried about these flare-ups? Uh, or, you know, is if, you know, when talking about this this morning, we all kind of agreed it has that Y2K feeling, like it could happen. But if it doesn't, we're going to spend a lot of money for nothing. Hmm. Well, we had a wake-up call just two weeks ago. Giant auroras, northern lights as far as Michigan and Wisconsin. And that's a warm-up. A warm-up for 2012-2013 when we hit the sunspot cycle. Every 11 years, the North Pole and the South Pole of the sun flip, releasing a burst of radiation. But every 100 years or so, a monster tsunami from the sun emerges, which could literally cause trillions of dollars in property damage. 2012, that's a presidential election year. We need to keep that in mind. Um, so, but if, if I'm walking around out there, yeah, as to whose fault it is, or at least the history, who they'll blame. Uh, so if I'm walking around, if I'm out sunbathing in a Speedo, well, I look like Charles after about five minutes out there. <laughs> Color anyways. Obviously, I'm not going to look like Charles in a Speedo, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, is it going to really affect us like that? It could paralyze the economy of the planet Earth. 
but not from a physical perspective. Physical perspective, yeah. 1859, we had a gigantic solar storm which knocked out telegraph wires back then, 150 years ago. Yeah. If that had happened today, it would knock out almost all our satellites, knock out power stations. There would be food riots around the country because refrigeration would stop. Airplanes would probably crash without radar. It would paralyze the, the planet Earth. Interesting. Interesting quote. One little burp from the sun would paralyze the planet Earth. I don't know, Bill, maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of thinking the sun's getting ready to do something pretty horrible to the planet. Where have I heard that before? But that's not all, folks. The second sign from the sky, the last one we're going to deal with today, knowing that, uh, telling us that Jesus is coming back real soon, folks, is the rise of an asteroid impact. Okay, the Bible says there's a big one coming, folks, and this one is not going to miss. It's going to smash into the planet. Let's take a look at that text there, Revelation chapter 8, another judgment from God, the trumpet judgments this time, chapter 8, verses 2, 8 through 9, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets this time. And the second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze. I wonder what that is. Asteroid. That's right, Michaela, once again, you're on the ball. Uh, asteroid was thrown into where? The sea, it's gonna happen, folks. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living sea creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. That's talking on a global scale. And so the second thing that we deal with, it's, it's one thing bad enough to see what's taking place with the sun as one sign, but the Bible says another event in the sky as a sign that's gonna take place during the seven year tribulation is an asteroid is going to smash into the sea. So again, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Do we see any sign in the skies that we really are under any threat of an asteroid smashing into our earth anytime soon? Uh, yeah, in fact, there's been many, many warnings for many years now. It just doesn't seem to get much airplay, so to speak. In fact, Hollywood has been getting in on the action, been producing movies about it every year, okay? Uh, even they know it's gonna happen, but listen to what some scientists are saying. They are saying it's not just a matter of if, but when. They admit it, it's gonna happen, exactly like the Bible says. It's not a matter if, but when we get struck by an asteroid and the damage they say is going to be absolutely inconceivable. Listen to this, they said, quote, if a space rock, i.e. asteroid, were to hit the earth, the damage would be devastating. The amount of destruction would depend on if it hit land or ocean, and this one's gonna hit the ocean. He says there, he said, but regardless of the impact location, loss of human, animal, and plant life on a grand scale would take place, particularly if it impacted a big population area. And the shock waves from that asteroid would create huge tsunami waves, listen, destroying both coastlines and inland areas, which would include the ships around the world that are on the coastlines, right? Now, folks, here, here's what uh, I truly believe. I believe that God's already given us a birth pain, a sign to let us know, folks, of what it's going to be like when an asteroid strikes the ocean. Remember, it causes a mega tsunami. And I think that God's already given us, folks, a wake-up call in a recent tsunami, not by an asteroid, but an earthquake. But let's take a look at a recent tsunami. You remember the one in Japan? I think that was a birth pain from God. Okay, letting us know it's getting close. You better get, pay attention. This is going to happen. Let's take a look at that, just a little bit of recap of that. Pay attention to what's happening to the ships. Remember, that's what the text says. Okay, let's take a look. You're seeing live footage of a tsunami engulfing the port area of Kamai City in Iwate Prefecture. We've been reporting earlier on that the, the meteorological agency has issued a warning for tsunami up to six meters deep, uh, six meters high, and this is what's happening right as we speak. This is from our camera reporter in Miyagi. And it looks and it looks like the tsunami has engulfed several cities. Images yet more terrifying emerge from the same Pacific coast. The huge tide just appears to eat anything in its path. the road, look how tiny the cars are. From 7.9, one of the worst earthquakes ever in Japanese history. 
In fact, it's the seventh most powerful earthquake in history. None of the other six were in areas anything like as populated as this. Looking at these pictures, we can see something is ablaze there on the ground as this very strange wave of mud and debris with boats included and cars and all sorts of things. It's, it's when you see something like this, Ivan, unfold before your very eyes that you get an idea of why there is very, there's nowhere to run when you have something like that coming so fast toward you and of course you know it appears to be fairly slow when you're looking aerially but if you're on the ground and that is moving at such that a fast is, speed you can see the boat there um just unbelievable. nowhere to run you may get a better idea of why the text in revelation said and one-third of the ships around the world are going to be destroyed when the asteroid strikes the ocean and creates a mega tsunami, it's going to wipe them out. There is nowhere to run if you're on the ground and that thing is headed your way. Folks, I truly believe that that was just a birth pain of what's going to happen, not when an earthquake, but an actual asteroid burning like a mountain smashes into the sea as a judgment from God. That one was what, maybe 20 feet high that, that came into the coast? Can you imagine one 500 feet high? Well, I'm here to help you out. Maybe this last day tsunami that's going to be created by this asteroid that you don't want to be there for is going to look something like this. Let's take a look. to remind viewers that you're watching a live broadcast from Berlin. Any time now, we should see the first signs of the meteor entering the atmosphere. Folks, if you're watching this, you can laugh, you can scoff, you can run all you want. But unless you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, you are headed, listen, for a reality that's even worse than that. Because as we saw last week, what was the biblical rule? Anything that we can conjure up in our mind, including that movie, pales in comparison to the actual reality. And this is precisely why God has given us in advance all these signs of worldwide upheaval out of love to let us know when it's getting close. The seven-year tribulation and Jesus Christ's second coming. And that's again why Jesus himself has encouraged us with these words, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place. What do you do, Christian? 
Stand up, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. I.e. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his church and we need to get motivated. Now, like it, lump it, leave it or not, if you are scared of Bible prophecy, I have a theory, and this is what I've learned from experience. If you don't like hearing the news that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment, it's because you are a lover of this world instead of a lover of God. Because the Bible says if you love Jesus Christ, you long for his appearing. You get excited. You start doing rapture practice when you see news reports like this. And so if you're here today as a Christian and you're troubled by this, you need to get your heart right with God. And you need to get back on track with him. We need you. We need every available hand to work together as a team. And let's get busy saving souls who don't have Jesus Christ. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, please don't scoff. God, out of love, has given you all of this. Even today. Heed the warning. Heed the signs. When the altar call is given, respond now. Because tomorrow may be too late. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right. And it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. 
He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.